and welcome to this special episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. Today, you're in for a real treat as not just one, but three guests join me for today's episode. Three phenomenal women, Marcy Walker, Oshita Moore, and Kara Meredith. All sit down with me for a real and honest discussion about the importance of building bridges and having the hard conversations in today's world. If you've listened to past episodes of the podcast, you know Marcy Walker is one of my favorite guests. Marcy is the author behind the popular Instagram account, Black Coffee with White Friends, and she's the creator of Mockingbird History Lessons. She's a gifted writer and teacher, and each time I get to talk to Marcy is truly an honor. Also joining our conversation is Oshita Moore. Oshita is a speaker, podcaster, and the author of the book, Shalom Sisters, Living Wholeheartedly in a Broken-Hearted World. Oshita is also an outreach and teaching pastor. But perhaps most importantly, Oshita is a woman known to be a voice for peacemaking, justice, and racial reconciliation. Finally, Kara Meredith joins in the conversation. Kara is a writer, speaker, and conversationalist with a master's in theology. She's the author of the book, The Color of Life, a spiritual memoir about her journey as a white woman into issues of justice, race, and privilege. Kara brings in her unique perspective to this conversation as a white woman who was raised in a colorblind world and thought the issue of race didn't have anything to do with her. That is until she met and married the son of black icon, James Meredith, when everything changed in her world. As you will hear, each of these ladies brings their own voice and unique perspective to the table. Yet all of them have an ability to tell hard truths with honesty and compassion, motivated by a love for Jesus and justice. So pull up a seat, grab a cup of coffee, and listen in. We dive into some hard topics such as privilege, race, and the realities of friendship between black and white women. But I promise we also manage to have some lighthearted fun along the way. Well, ladies, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. We will get started. I just wanted to say today is a different podcast because we have three women here, three women that are writers, speakers, bloggers, podcasters themselves, and all have a passion for justice and peacemaking. And we're going to dive in and just have a good conversation today. So welcome, ladies. Hi. Thanks for having us. That's right. So we'll start. We have have Marcy, Kara, and Ashita, and I'm just going to go go around. Marcy, you have been on the podcast now, I think, three times. So I'm so grateful for your voice and wisdom. And you had the idea of having a couple more ladies in the conversation. So can you just give us a brief intro? My listeners know you, Marcy, but just where you're at in your day to day. I know you're getting ready for a move, what you do, all that. Yep. So I'm Marcy of Black Coffee with White Friends and Mockingbird History Lessons. And you and I have just had a really lovely friendship blooming. And I'm so excited that you were open to this because one of the very best conversations that I had ever was with Oshida and Kara. And it's because I, when I walked away from that conversation, I, and we talk about hard things, but to walk away from it and to feel heard, validated, supported, and to also feel that I had people to support and validate mm-hmm. was a first. And because um, usually I walk away from conversations and I feel that I've supported and validated and maybe it hasn't been re- reciprocal. Um, so this was really good to just breathe that in. So I'm super excited that we are doing this together. Yeah, I'm thrilled. I listened to the podcast, um, Oshida, on your podcast with the three of you. 
and it was so good the one about books and mm. i honestly just thought well why don't i just share that one but <laughs> we'll have another good conversation <laughs> today we will talk about books at the end but that was a great conversation as well so kara can you just tell us a little bit about yourself there's a lot both kara and Ashita, you guys could share we need to have separate podcasts with each of you because there's lots behind your stories and life so this is just give us a really brief overview, Kara, of who you are and your day to day. Yeah, my name is Kara Meredith, and um, I live with my family in Oakland, California. Uh, so the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I have a book that came out about a year, almost a year and a half ago, called The Color of Life, uh, yeah. which is a spiritual memoir about my journey as a white woman into issues of race. Um, and so a lot of the work that I do now uh, is is around inviting folks into the conversation. Um, and I don't even want to primarily say um, white folks, although a lot of times, uh, you know, especially given George Floyd and, and the uh, civil unrest in our country as of the last couple of months, I think there's, it's been a wake up call for a lot of people um, of, of uh, European American descent. But um, a lot of the work I do is in that and having conversations and writing and thinking about justice and, um, in my own life, that it means, uh, what does that mean for our own family, um, being in an interracial marriage, raising mixed race kids, um, and always seeking to listen and learn. And I've got a thousand stories of uh, mistakes made along the way. And yet, um, there's been a whole lot of patience and grace. And I'm grateful for longstanding friendships and just continuing to go on. Yeah, and I started reading your book also, Kara, this week, and I'm only like halfway through, but I just, we obviously will link that up and we're going to do a giveaway in that, but highly recommend it. And you have a pretty amazing story, um, but such an example, like you said, especially to me as a white woman, making mistakes and learning and grace along the journey. Oshita, can you give yourself a quick intro? And this is hard because sure. there's so much <laughs> behind you guys. It's more than a quick intro. Yeah. Hi, I'm Oshita. Um, I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. I am pastor at two churches right now, which is wild. I am the, um, I'm a teaching and outreach pastor at Woodland Hills, which is like a larger Anabaptist-y um, congregation here in the Twin Cities. And then my husband is the lead pastor of a sweet, um, intimate uh, church called Roots Covenant, small church about I think we're like 40 people. Um, and I serve as community life pastor alongside him. So I, I bring all of my like woo and chemistry and like funness to, <laughs> to that role. And then I do all of my like teaching and thinking about like strategic outreach stuff with uh, Woodland. So pretty full life. Um, but I, I'm also an author and um, I'm really passionate. I think the, I've been writing and teaching and like encouraging people to be peacemakers uh, within their everyday context for like 15 years. I'm really passionate about like all of us knowing exactly um, where we fit into the peace teachings and the peace ethic of Jesus to be able to create peace and to create wholeness and flourishing right where we are. Um, and so my work has, has started and really understanding what shalom and peacemaking is. But then as a black woman, I've had to wrestle with like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a peacemaker as a black woman? What does it mean to be a peacemaker who loves white people um, on this journey and invite them into the conversation? What does peacemaking look like for us there? And so I'm working on my second book, which is which is due to release um, on MLK Day um, in 2021. Yeah, yeah, um, called Dear White Peacemakers, which is a collection of letters 
uh, responding to all the questions that white people have, but are too afraid to ask. So love it. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, your book has been, wow, it's been so, I mean, it came out three years ago, right? The Shalom Sisters? Yeah, 2020. Okay. Yeah, 2020. I've just reread it slowly before this interview the last week or two, and it's, it is very impactful and life-changing, and it's, it's so good, and it has spoken to me so much, and I think that's why even with this conversation today, I mean, it's really kind of led me to where I think we should go, because I think all three of us are Jesus followers, I don't think, I know, and it's like, why... Mm-hmm. Why do we care about justice and peace? Um, and all three of you have such a heart and passion for that. And so that's what we're going to dive into and talk about today. Um, one other caveat, I know we all have children that could barge in at any time. So, <laughs> so we'll just all give each other grace for that, okay? Hopefully, Marcy, you've got one daughter that's a little bit older, so you probably won't have that. I have another, I have an older and a little one with supposed to be watching two dogs so we'll see how that goes <laughs> so we'll all we'll go all give each other grace um yeah, for that one yeah. so let's dive in um and talk about finding peace in this crazy time right now being peacemakers in a time that it seems like there's literally no peace i mean 2020 like seems like the year without peace but that is not that is not God's plan for this world and for our roles. Mm-hmm. So, Oshita, can you just talk out, like, I mean, your book is, is based on this. Um, mm-hmm. Can you give us a definition of peace and shalom and also talk about the difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? Because I think that's important to get those definitions before we dive into, to, and dive yeah. into it. So I always thought of peace as kind of this... Um, just this either posture that you naturally have. So maybe you're like a quiet and gentle and like reserved person. And so, and you never like rock the boat. And so like you're a peaceful person or you're a peacemaker when you enter a situation because you have like a natural disposition towards it. And I used to also think, or I used to think that peacemaking was like this thing that you do that you like get a bunch of, you go to college and you learn about it and you get a degree about it. You go through all these trainings and you're certified and then you go and you're like a human shield in a war-torn country. Like, the, I, like those two, like I, there are these two kind of camps for which a peacemaker could fit, and I don't fit in either one of them. I'm not going into any kind of world war-torn country anytime soon. I'm, I'm a mom. I'm a pastor. I, I live by, like a very everyday life, and I'm definitely not like sweet and quiet. Like I am very outspoken and have strong opinions, and I like really love when Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple because I was like, yes, wreck it all, Lord, wreck it. Um, And so for me, I kind of had to figure out, okay, so when Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, which um, as an Anabaptist pastor, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like our golden, like that is the center of the center of the core of the teachings of Jesus. Um, And I read the Bible through a lens of looking for Jesus and and through the whole narrative of the Bible. And so if I'm like looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is the core of his teachings, um, and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. That doesn't mean I get to opt out of it because I'm outspoken or I'm in an everyday context. Like I have to figure out what does peacemaking look like for me. Um, and so as I studied peace for 40 days, I looked, I looked at the Hebraic concept of shalom and I looked at um, as many instances of, of the word peace, uh, 
in the Bible as I could. And I found that it continually connected to this bigger, broader, more inclusive vision that I think all of us can kind of find ourselves into. And it's this idea of God's dream for the world as it should be, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything made whole. So if we think back to the garden, to the garden of Eden, and God was continually saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. Being a peacemaker is somebody who walks alongside God and looks for looks for the potential for the good the the and, and tries to work with God to create that essential goodness, like pull that goodness out of whatever broken system or chaotic relationship that we are engaging in. And so um and so for me when I think of peacemaking, it is a creative, generative, exciting like vast work that we can enter into because it's really like looking at a specific situation or a specific conversation or a specific um, calling in a moment, like um, calling to enter into a moment and saying like, what is the good that God has always wanted for this that I can be a part of pulling out and, and, and proclaiming and, and, and creating. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a creative act. Peacekeeping on the, and, and, and it's a creative act out of a, out of, an, out of love being loved by God, owning our belovedness, and then wanting to proclaim and create belovedness around where we are. Peacemaking creates peace out of love. And so that means if we're doing it out of love, then we're willing to do hard things because the cross was an example of God's, of God's sacrificial love, going, doing the hardest thing ever out of love. Peacekeeping though, on the other end, is really rooted in anxiety. So peacekeeping is, I don't want things to change. I don't want, I don't things to be uncomfortable. Um, I want things to stay really calm. Um, peacekeeping is like very much about the status quo. What do we not, what do we not rock and shake and shift? Because I don't know what the fallout of that is. I don't feel confident enough to, to sit in the discomfort of that fallout. So when we are peacekeeping, we are not creating anything. We're just trying to hold on to the comfort or the thing that we're used to. And I think when we talk about race, we need to be peacemakers that are creating that generative wholeness and pulling that it is goodness and and working towards God's dream as opposed to peacekeeping where I think a lot of people sit and are like, I don't want to talk about this because it's so incredibly scary. But God is calling us to rise up to be peacemakers in this moment. That's so good and so profound. I mean, just the distinct difference between them. And I think that gets to the root of so much of what's going on right now in 2020. And that really leads me, I mean, your book goes into all of these points like in detail what you're talking about and how to find peace and be a peacemaker in so many areas when i was praying about this conversation with the four of us and just thinking some of the key things and i that struck me one is the conversations excuse me having these conversations now about race and i on social media or with friends um and i think i see a lot of people saying in my world, like, don't have these conversations. These, these conversations just create more division. But like you just said, that is peacekeeping, not peacemaking. So let's talk about, I think kind of a broad overall, what you talked about in your book was building bridges, not walls to create peace. Um, so let's first just talk about having these conversations, like why we have them, why they are examples of making, being peace makers and not peacekeepers so why we have them um what would you guys say to you know people that do say oh this just creates more division um to have it and to look at our differences i mean paul says oh we're neither black or white like we're we're just creating more division i don't know marcy or kara do you want to dive in and talk about that like why do we even why have these conversations Mm. I'm going to let Kara take that first. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, here's, you know, here's what I continue to think about. Um, I, think, I think about when I read through the Gospels, when I read through the story of Jesus's life, death and resurrection, um, how many instances someone asks Jesus a question and Jesus is just like, mm, well, here's a question back to you. You know, and he kind of answers the question with a question and how frustrating that is. But when you just asked that question, Andrea, I thought to myself, well, what happens when we don't talk about race? Mm -hmm. And so it's almost, it's, I mean, it's, it's a pushback question, but it's, I think about, um, like tonight, I have a big event uh, with, with a friend um, on talking to kids about race. And that's one of the first questions we ask the studio audience is um, for parents and caregivers, what happens when we don't talk to kids about this, when we don't talk mm -hmm. to our kids? And so for me, I think uh, without providing an explicit answer, I think sometimes we have to lean into that question again. And, um, and, and that's the first thing that comes to my mind. So Marcy, I'm, I'm, yeah. um, I'm handing the bat to you, whatever the phrase is. I'm also <laughs> earliest in the morning. Granted, it's only 9.20, but the coffee is still setting in. So <laughs> I apologize in advance. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, I, it, I was right with you when you said that you think of Jesus asking questions back. That's like my go-to. It's like, well, what, what about that makes you feel something might come unraveled? What are you fearful that you might lose in the division mm -hmm. of such a conversation? What do you think might happen and might change your opinion or outcome? What are you protecting? Because usually when we don't want to go there, there's something that we're protecting. Um, that's why parents say, <laughs> You know, because I told you so, because we're protecting something, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to give the answer because the answer might be because I want five minutes peace, but we can't say that. <laughs> so we say, because I said so. And I think when we, when people say that they don't want to have the conversation, or why do we have to talk to it, to talk about it? A lot of times it's really, we're saying, because I said so. I, 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 I'm not open to it. I'm not open for discussion. I'm going to authoritatively shut this down. Um, because if I don't voluntarily go into the conversation, you can't have it. And, you know, it's, it's a shame because without those questions, we see less of God. And I think also what we see with Jesus when he asked these questions, people see more of what he is about that's good. when they answer that in their heart. Yeah, that's good. We miss it. That's good. Um, I, yeah, Oshida, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I wanted to just add to that if that's okay. Because um, yeah. I, I think that at the core of this question is what, what Marcy is saying is like, there's a fear of like, well, what am I going to lose? Or what, what, what's going to change? Or am I going to feel inadequate? But I, I would encourage white people who are, in, who are asking this question to say, 
what are you what are you actually going to gain? Um, what you're going to gain on the other end of this is you're going to gain you're you're going to begin building trust, and you're going to begin entering into a more intimate and relationship with the with your black and brown brothers and sisters. Like when you allow yourself when to have this hard conversation, it's actually like an incredible brave act of vulnerability and a and 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 a way for us to step into trusting one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's super important to think about like why are we having this conversation? It's causing more division. It's actually creating an opportunity for more connection, an authentic, honest connection. And and when we talk about race, like when I think about like what is racism, what is white supremacy, like what is all of this, like at the core of it, it is a deep and profound brokenness in relationship. Mm-hmm. And so in order to enter, in order to mend that bond, in order to like work towards reconciliation, you have to begin building trust with each other. And the only way you can do that is if you talk about the hard thing and at the core, like the hardest thing is race, the, the social construct of race, the the effects of racism in our country and the reality of white supremacy. And if we don't, if we, if we can't create a space where we can use those words and they're, and they, and they're not words of attack, but a words of invitation. If we can't do that, then we're not doing any sort of real racial reconciliation. Yeah, true. That's true. so good. Can I add something too? Absolutely. And I, I feel like Marcy might want to add something as well because now great. we're just starting to get going. That's but, great. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think then, based on you know, just bouncing off of a Rashida, um, I think that there is a real fear. Um, and I'm going to speak as a white person, but there's a, there's a fear of discomfort, uh, because, um, we, and I say that, uh, maybe that's humans as a whole, but maybe right now it's white folks, white folks feel like they deserve comfort. So we feel like we deserve, deserve comfort. And we know that if we risk entering into this conversation, we are going to feel uncomfortable. And so that's, that's all of a sudden, that's not, that's not good. That's not what we want, but there's also a fear of not knowing, And the fear of not knowing and of getting it wrong oftentimes prevents us from even entering into the conversation at all. Um, So, so then, you know, if we look at that through a Jesus lens, well, like, what does it mean to have a little bit of humility and to say, I don't know, and um, I'm going to enter into this with open hands and I'm going to listen and learn. And whether it's talking to kids, whether it's pursuing a friendship, whether it's learning something for the first time, whether it's, um, whether it's uncovering a white supremacy see and racism in the church uh, or in our schools or wherever else, what does it mean to say, okay, I really don't know this and I need to know. It's been my privilege not to know. And so I'm going to mm-hmm. enter into this, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, even if I don't know and or I get it wrong. Yeah, no, I wrote, I, you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head, Kara, because that's what I wrote down too in my notes. Like we don't, I don't, why, why do I not do it? Why have I not done it in the past? Because I'm only really the last year kind of entering that realizing this is important because like you, care, I was raised, we didn't talk about it, you know, and it's like, I have the privilege of, I'm also, I, you all are in interracial marriages. I'm married to a white person. I have lily white daughters. Like I could stay in my own little white world and it's uncomfortable to get out of that. But I feel like as Jesus followed, we have to and right. raising our kids to follow Jesus and making this world like we we have to and yes it can cause I think that goes back to Ashita, your definition of what's peace I mean we can think oh it disrupts the peace but no it's just disrupting our comfort zone that we think as white people that there we deserve yeah. Um, yeah. and so Marcy what do you want to say with that yeah um, <laughs> a no. lot 
y'all. <laughs> Can I just say that? No, yes. but, um, you know, it's, it's not only the fear I feel with white people. It's not only the fear of what you might discover about yourself. There's a real fear of you might discover that your church is racially segregated. Yeah. You might discover that the community that you live in is purposely all white. You might discover that you have bought into a system that you didn't even know you were selecting. And that's really uncomfortable. And, you know, it's just this really cute little funny story. I picked up, this was years ago, I picked up my daughter from school and I carpooled over to another school to pick up two other kids. They were in middle school. So you know what that's all about. So it's like mm -hmm. seventh grade. And they're in the back seat. My daughter's next to me in the front seat and they're in the back seat. And I am blown away by the foliage as we're driving of the live oaks. And I am just going, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, y'all, it's so beautiful. It's so, look at the color. And they are looking at me like, woman, what are you talking about? And so finally my daughter goes, mom, take your sunglasses off. And I took off my sunglasses and y'all, it was just dead leaves, just dead leaves all around. It was because live oaks really don't change colors. <laughs> it was just brown leaves. And I, I think what it was, and I was so upset in that moment that I have been duped. I had seen a world that they were not seeing. I was seeing this beautiful world that they were not experiencing. And the thing that most upset me is that I couldn't continue in the world that was created by my sunglasses. <laughs> by my, you know, I didn't want to be in the reality that there's no foliage. We're not in Vermont. We're in Texas. It's like hot as heck outside. There, you know, the, the leaves are dying. Yeah. I didn't want wanted to be in the world where everything was rose and gold and and you know ambers. But you know, the reality of it was quite different. And I think, yeah, it, it does feel good to be in our rosy world where no, my community is just a bunch of hardworking people who worked hard for these homes. Are there so many white people in my world? How did it come to be that way? And how did I not notice? And where does that link back to? And that's that's hard. And I think, I mean, when you're saying that, I'm like, that's what 2020 is doing to us. It's like <laughs> disrupting yeah. all these things that we thought to be, especially as a white person, like the truths of history coming out and the monuments and we're, we're not safe from COVID. Like it's all yeah. coming, it's all coming down and like being exposed for really maybe what, what this country is. And that's yeah. hard, but it also gives us a chance to build to build new and build these bridges. One of the things I want to talk about with that same, and you address a little bit of she did in your book, is white women, you hear a lot of white women say like, well, it's just not my place or to have these conversations. Like I shouldn't be the one talking about it. Like it's not my territory, but you, what are your, what do you say back to that, Oshita, to white women that just are like, no, not my territory, not my space? Well, I think that, I think that is that is a version of imposter syndrome, uh, or or like a like a weird like uh, inadequacy or not enoughness that like I think most women most of us kind of kind of have some some sense of like I'm not enough I don't know enough I don't bring enough I am not smart enough or whatever like we kind of have this 
like baseline low hum in the background. And I think it's exacerbated in, in times and spaces like when we're asked to engage with something like race because the stakes feel so high and they're so outside of our, for white women outside of our experience, outside of your experience. And so the first thing I would say is that <laughs> like the same sort of like self-talk that you tell yourself to kind of get, if you do do some sort of like affirmations to get past that like sense of like, I'm not enough, I don't have anything to offer. like you have to do that self-talk before you have to do that self-talk for yourself because you have, you do have something to offer. You do have something to say, and you are needed in this conversation for this very reason. I am a black woman and I am, I'm married to a white man and I've been in predominantly white spaces. I have been mentored by white people. Like I I'm very, very comfortable doing talking about race in predominantly white spaces to white people. But there are things that I will say that a white person may like be intrigued by and may say like, oh, that's an interesting thought. I've never thought about it, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't have the same gravitas. It doesn't make them want to change their life or their experience because there's like this, what I've learned is there's this kind of like this objection in the back of their mind. Well, of course it matters to her because she's black. Like she just wants everything to change to make it easier for her. When a white person steps in and says something very similar, that that objection isn't there. And I think that there is an opportunity for white people to, to leverage their voices and leverage their experiences um, in these conversations so that we can actually make the change that we're talking about making. So I can only communicate so far and so much. And even though I, I have spent so much of my, my life my work sitting with white people and growing in empathy and really trying to understand where they're coming from. At the end of the day, I am still a black woman and they're always going to hear it coming from a black woman. So this is why like leaders like Kara who are stepping in and saying like, I am willing to use my voice and my experience and talk about racism and talk about the hard things and reaffirm the, the things that my white or my black brothers and sisters are saying and and actually like pointing my the white people that are listening to me like yeah you hear what i'm saying you agree now let's like both learn from black leaders like Kara's leadership is so important because it shows you that white people have a unique calling to dismantle racism and that is a lie from the pit of hell that says i this isn't my space this isn't something that i can contribute to no you absolutely have to because again this was a division, a, a breakdown in relationship between white people or people of European descent and brown and black people and black indigenous people of color. Like that's the breakdown. So we both have to do the work together towards yeah. reconciliation. Absolutely. Kara, mm-hmm. would you talk into that a little bit? Because I mean, we, me and you have that in common that we come, we, we have white privilege and we both existed in a time and space that we didn't we didn't have to talk about I mean, we still don't have to doesn't I mean it affects you now because of your children and your husband but you have existed where you didn't have to and it was just a privilege like white privilege not to so talk about maybe talk into that just a little bit because I know that word white privilege can really <laughs> still make some white people just cringe and not think it's a thing but we both have it and how you got from use that to using your privilege to talk and address this Oh my gosh. Well, that's a lot of a chair. Just, We're all going to be talking about <laughs> 12 hours. <laughs> I know. So it, maybe condense it how you think. Like that's a lot there, but I do think it needs to be hit on because I think as white women, that's what it is a privilege just not to talk about it. Absolutely. I, I think the, the greatest privilege of all is choice. 
the choice to um, choose to engage, the choice to choose to not engage, the choice to recognize, the choice to do something about it, the choice to sit back in um, comfort. I think one of the things that I've, um, I, I, and I, I mean, I, I say this, um, I'm a learner. And I think all of us have to be learners, no matter who we are, but especially um, for those of us who identify as white, um, again, and I guess I've said this earlier, but it's a privilege not to have to know. It's a privilege not to have to even recognize what privilege is. Um, it's a privilege to, um, uh, it's a privilege, it's an advantage. Um, I'm not about to uh, go the, um, oh gosh, what was that a couple of weeks ago? Blessing. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going there because that that is not what it is. Um, but all of these are manifestations of white supremacy and they do go down to the systems um, that were created in our country uh, that were created to benefit some, but not all. And so what is white privilege? Well, it's, it's what I have that um, others do not have. And so we could go, um, in so many different um, directions, we could study intersectionality, um, but uh, there are certain privileges that I have because of the color of my skin that those who do not have the color of my skin do not have. So I love how one writer, Levy, um, uh, yeah. uh, how do you say her last name, Marcy? Ajayang? I don't know. I've so, never even heard her last name. I always hear her yeah. called Levy. Okay. And, and, so, and I don't know that that's her last name anymore because she just got married. Oh, but she was famous. So I feel mm -hmm. like she would be one of those keeping her, her old last name. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe not. But, but she boiled it down in her book, I'm Judging You, which is just a phenomenal <laughs> little, uh, it's, I mean, it's humorous, but it's very truth-filled. And she said the, the basic definition of privilege is that it's not about you. And mm -hmm. so that is something that I cling to. Um, and, and for so, me, the, um, when it comes to talking about privilege, and, and this is where, I mean, we could go through and um, for every single one of us, we probably have a different idea of how this conversation needs to take place. Uh, certainly for different activists um, who are people of color, there, I mean, there are so many different uh, philosophies of how we need to and should be engaging in this conversation um, to the point that obviously there are so many folks who don't think that I should be speaking. Um, and yet I also, I understand, I recognize, I realize my privilege and I choose to leverage my privilege and um, to say it's an honor to be able to talk about this. And so I'm going to do everything I can, yes, to point to um, voices that um, I have ignored and or silenced and also to learn from and to elevate and to lift up and to partner with uh, in the work that I do on the ground, I do believe that this conversation happens best uh, between um, people of color and white folks. And so I am going to, that is, that is what I am gonna shout from the rooftops. Um, and I guess the last, oh, go ahead, Oshita. No, go ahead, no, finish what you're gonna say. I mean, I, I think the last thing that I'm learning and really entering into is that it is, uh, which I've, I've known, but, um, I'm, I'm entering into and I'm learning and I'm digging into systems. And that's what has to be disrupted. Uh, Ibram Kendi. I mean, now maybe we're going to start throwing out a whole bunch of book names. Yeah. But I feel like <laughs> Ibram Kendi right now, or author names. Ibram Kendi is, like, this is not anything new. But the words that he is saying about, about 
about disrupting systems. That's what we have to begin to get toward because it's those systems. And so for me, I, I say, yes, it is about relationality. It is about building bridges. Um, but there, it's interesting. And a lot of the reading I've been doing lately, Brenda Salter-McNeil, Shanique Walker-Barnes, Ibram Kendi, so theologians and activists, there's a lot of, um, they're starting to renounce uh, the relationality, the approach really of 20, 30 years ago when it comes to racial reconciliation, if we can even mm-hmm. call it reconciliation. But they're yeah. saying, no, it's actually, uh, it's not about diversity, uh, but it's about disrupting unequal systems. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot up. I'm muting myself. <laughs> well, no, no, I guess I, w- I wanted to just say a short thing about the white people, you need to sit down, like you don't have anything to say, like you need to be elevating like people of color. Or I want to say something about that because I think that there's, I think there's some truth to that insofar as it's the way in which some white people are using their voices or leveraging their stories or engaging in this conversation where it's really centered on them. It's really centered on their story. It's really, it's really like highlighting how good they are. So it's playing with that white saviorism. And I think that when, when there's that danger there that of course, I think that, some black leaders are saying, no, no, sit down, like let people of color, like do the talking. But I think that there is a way for white people to engage this work that says, that begins with their story that says like, hey, this is kind of what I'm coming, this is what I'm learning. Like I'm realizing this and I've never had to think about this now, but because I love my black and brown brothers and sisters, I want to change this. And I'm learning from this person. Like I just kind of gave you a script on like how to like leverage your voice in a way that's not centering yourself and not being quote like a white savior, but saying, listen, I have a responsibility in this. I want to speak up, but I also recognize that there are dynamics here that says I'm the white person. So people are going to listen to me. So here's, here's the part of the story that's appropriate for you to hear. I am sorry. I am a part of a system that is benefiting me I don't want to do that anymore. Here's what I'm learning about not being about that system. And here's who I'm learning from. Let's continue forward. Let's, let's move forward in this journey. So I think that if we can, if we can coach white people on using their voices that way, I think that you might, you may hear less black leaders say, sit down, because what they're really saying is step back from the fires of white supremacy and white saviorism, because you're just perpetuating this dynamic that we want to end altogether. That's yeah. so, I, I appreciate that a lot, Oshita. That's so good because I know I've struggled with that just listening to a lot of black voices now. And I feel like, like you've said, some are like, just sit down and be quiet. And I've struggled with like, it's even my small platform, like, do I just not say anything? Like, it's really hard to find that balance. And you just, hit, I mean, that's so good what you just said and helpful. So thank you for going into detail with that. Before we move on to talk about relationships with black, white people, friends of different colors and races, do you have anything else to say, Marcy, on that one? Yeah, I just, I just have it makes me think of the Bible and in the book of Acts, when all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people, they start, the people on the street start hearing their own language and they start understanding what's happening based on the fact that there's this movement happening inside where people are speaking in different tongues, right? Different languages. And the people outside of the room are going, oh my gosh, that's my language. I hear and I understand what they're saying. And I think when we say that white people need to speak, I am saying that 
go to your people and speak their language. I can't do that. And you have been blessed with that language. You've been, because the language is different. When I'm in the room, there are things that will never get said. And I know that when I'm not in that same room of people, there are many things that might be said because there's not the pressure of my presence. And so when you are in that room and that language is being spoken, an all white language, a purely white language, and things are being said that only white people will say to one another, and I don't even know what those things are because I've never been in that room because I'm black. You have the blessing. This is the blessing. The blessing is the language that you've been blessed with by your birth to be able to speak that language. And that's not a privilege. That's just you were born of European descent. It's nothing about being blessed in, 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 in the sense of where you live or your house or your whiteness. It's just the fact that we each carry within our DNA um, language and all sorts of things. And we need, to, we need to be willing to lean into that. When I write and when Oshida writes, um, we're not just thinking about a white audience. We're also thinking about our brothers and sisters of color that we have to uphold, right? Because that is our blessing. That's our heritage. So you're blessed with your heritage and you can speak to your heritage. So when I get DMs, what do I say to my mother-in-law? I don't know your mother-in-law. I don't know her, but you do. And you know what needs to be said and you have to have the courage to speak it. You have yeah. to have the courage to speak that language. I can't speak it for you. Yeah. You, you know the truth. Carry it back to the people. Good. Good. <laughs> I just say like one thing. Yes. Keep talking. I just, I just want to say one thing to that question because Marcy said something that uh, that is so true. I, I, I as a black leader, and I'm sure Marcy has and many other black leaders, we get this question all the time. I am going to Thanksgiving dinner and I want to bring up blah, blah, blah. Or I posted that I was in March and now my aunt is angry at me. And like, there's this common question of like, oh, I, I want to go talk to the white people in my spaces. Tell me what to say. What do I do? And there are some, ta there are some techniques I can teach you about conflict, right. like conflict resolution or, or compassionate conversations or crucial conversations. Like I can do the, that, I can teach you the posture and the techniques. I can't tell you what to say and I'm not going to tell you what to say. And this is why I'm not going to tell you what to say because whiteness loves efficiency. Like it loves the the silver bullet that's going to fix everything, so they so you so it no longer has to be exposed. Right. And right. my job is to help white people get real comfortable with discomfort, and right. just like do that hard work. It's going to look like the cross, but we're working towards Easter Sunday. So I'm not <laughs> going to give you. Yes. I'm not going to give you like your top ten conversation starters, and then when they say this, I'm going to give you this. I'm not going to do that for you because. I'm not the Holy Spirit and I don't know your like Marcy said I don't know your grandmother so what I would say is if you feel that prompt coming up in you like tell me what to do tell me how to fix it like 
the thing below the thing is I don't want to deal with my discomfort. And that's something that as a, if you're, if you're a person of faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's something you take straight to Jesus who knows how to sit in discomfort and let you get real good at that. And then you go into that conversation with maybe some techniques of how to diffuse it and maintain peacemaking in the midst of that conversation. But you have that conversation and no, it's not going to be super easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. It goes back to your peacekeeper versus peacemaker. Yeah. And which which are we going to be in that? That's so good, Ashita. You ladies are so wise. So I want to talk about, let's dive into, with these conversations, having these hard conversations, comes the importance of also our relationships. So we were just talking about white people's relationships with their own white friends and white spaces. But we also hear a lot about, I think it was a podcast I listened to between Kira and Oshida, but just about the importance of having relationships outside of our own race. So let's talk a little bit about that. The importance of it, the challenges of it, how do you do it in COVID? How do you do it without seeming forced? I mean, I guess I personally do, um, and I know a lot of white my white friends, having been in a white world for way too long, not trying to go out of my own until the last year or two going to a multiracial church. Like I've had all white friends and I know that's not good. And it's important that we have friends of different races, religions, cultures. So let's talk about that. And we're, we're who, who wants to start with that? The why thoughts with that? I want to start with that. Okay. Marcy. Um, I, you know, I just heard the stat that I think it's like, I think it's 95%. Is it 95? It might be 75, but I think it's 95% white people have never had a friendship with a person of color, like a a significant friendship with a person of color. I'm not talking about you have a coworker who works in the same department, significant um, relationship with a person of color. And it's interesting because I know that's true. Um, I know that's true. If I did that number within the white people that I know in my circle, that would be true. I I can see that. Um, I started having conversations with white people, but the terms were that you had to come to my home because I knew that most white people had never been in the home of a black woman. They have had um, Black people come to them and come into their space. And I needed them to be a little off-centered at coming into my space. Just a little, to feel just a little bit of, I don't know what to expect kind of thing. And um, hopefully be delighted in what they found. But so often, the only time that a white person will enter into a Black space is for mission. And so they have no concept that we read, we, we, we cook and eat the same things that they cook, um, we like coffee, we, you know, they have no concept of that because the only time, extended time that they've spent with someone is in providing missions. For, for someone. And I, it makes me bristle. It really upsets me that that's, that's what our church has built um, because we have decided that segregated worship is to be protected. Too often, it becomes such a, a, a problem with friendships that I've had to really be very careful about my own care within friendships. Like who can I, who, I, this morning I had a prayer need and there's this pause where I was just like, who can I ask to come and pray? And I was upset for a moment because I'm in a life group. I got a lot 
lots of white friends who are Christians, and I wasn't sure that I could trust them with this prayer request. And that broke my heart. You guys weren't included because I knew we were going to talk today. So, so present company, not not um, included, but I, because I've had prayer requests before and I've taken them to white friends in like a prayer group. And I've been told things like, oh, like I had a prayer request for my sister and a, a woman told me, oh, I'm so sorry. Isn't it hard when our, our, our family makes poor choices? And it was very strange because there was nothing about a choice in this because of systems this was a woman who was left with a choice that had long ago been made for her, long ago. And so it's really difficult for us to, you might think you have a black friend, but I would say that if your black friend has not, if you've not been to their home, if they have not let you watch their children, mm. if, if, they're, if they're not keen on their child spending the night with your children, if you've never seen them with their hair undone, you might not have a black friend. I, and I'm not trying to be like Jeff Foxworthy with that. <laughs> but it's true. You know, it's, it's, it's true. There, there are just certain barriers that we are, there's certain things that we are always armored with when we have these relationships with white people. And I was just listening to a podcast yesterday. It's on being it's so good where Krista Tippett, and you remind me a lot of Krista Tippett, Andrea, but Krista Tippett interviewed Robin D'Angelo and Resume. I can't think of his last name, um, but she, she interviewed these two like powerful people who are teaching and about racial reconciliation and racial trauma. And Robin wrote White Fragility and Robin said, and I think it's, it's something that every white person can aim for, that she no longer tries to make herself like a safe space for people. She knows that she's not a safe pace, place for people of color. But what she's now focused on is, I am trying to do less harm. That's my mm -hmm. goal, less mm -hmm. harm. And I think that that should be your goal, less harm. And mm -hmm. if you're thinking before you go to lunch or, or you invite a, a Black person over, you go to their home, be thinking of all the ways that you can do less harm. If a question pops in your mind and you think it might be harmful, that's what Google's for, you know? Um, so I just think, I think white people don't know how much it costs for us to bravely kind of tip our toe into that pool of friendship. It's very hard because you don't know if that person is going to harm your child or harm your mental ability to just function the next day. Um, one of the things Resume said that I just had to pause it and turn to my husband and say, I, I've not heard anyone say this before, is he talks about how, it, it may have been Robin, the idea of someone going home, a black person going home and having to redo the whole thing that just happened. And the white person is on about their business. But we're at home going, well, what did that mean when she said this? And do I need to talk to them? Should I, should I tell them that that offended me? Oh, is it worth it? Are they going to hear me? And that could be like two or three days of us carrying that trauma junk around while you're at Target, oblivious to that, that we're struggling and having to work out if it's safe enough for, for you to handle us saying, hey, I was really offended or that really hurt me.
We cannot tell y'all our hurts or our prayers. That is not the gospel. With you saying all that, so this is the pressing question on my mind. I'm just going to get real, real with you guys. And I want honest answers is, so as white people, I hear like, oh, you should have black friends. This is, but I really wonder, Marcy and Oshita, do you, do you want white friends? Do you guys even, like, if it's a lot of, like you just said, it's a lot of work, a lot of risk. Should we be trying yeah. as white people? Like, yeah, I yeah. want white friends. I want the Lorelai Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want hobbits. <laughs> I want Legolas. I want all the things in my life. I want to see the beauty of Jesus, of God, of the divine, <laughs> every single living testament to his marvelous Imago Day. Okay, so we're, we're, so we're worth it even, because even with you saying before, I'm like, gosh, that sounds exhausting. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want a white friend if I was a black well, person. Well, friendship, even when it's color to color, is exhausting. Yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Women to women. Oshita, what are your thoughts on that? I want I want friendship. I don't want to be somebody's project. Yes. And 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 so I think that is that's where that the the dynamic it gets really funky is when something happens like I have a white friend right now who is just coming awake and she and I haven't talked for very long like we haven't talked like we haven't talked in a long time is what I mean like we were really really good friends in another season of my life all this stuff is happening she's now like sliding into my dms texting me all the things and i love her i love her like this was like this was the girl who got me like hooked on pumpkin spice lattes like i love this <laughs> um but the dynamic in our relationship is very much teach me tell me show me and i feel like all that she wants from me right now is to educate her and to like help her become like more woke and and that's a dynamic in in a, a lot of my relationships with white people that is most exhausting is when mm-hmm. i don't have any space to speak into their lives about their parenting about marriage about who I want to be the next bachelor. Like I can't yeah, talk about exactly. all these other things with them because, because they primarily just want to talk about like race or racism or mm-hmm. the church or reconciliation or whatever. And so I think that that's where it gets that. That's where I'm kind of like, okay, it's a boundary. Like <laughs> I can't let you in because all you really, like you just really want me to assuage your, your white guilt around this by saying I have a black friend who is talking to me about this stuff so that I can be like a story in their back. Like, this is my fear. Like I'm a story in their back pocket for the next time, like their church talks about race. They'll say, Oh, but I have like this black friend who I talked to about race. And so like, I don't have a problem anymore. Like that, That's kind of the, like mm-hmm. the pondering and thinking that Marcy's talking about that I do after an interaction with the white person. Well, what kind of harm is this doing for them in yes. their development? Like, mm-hmm. are they, are, am I being the kind of friend to them that's actually like a good friend and we talk about all facets of our life or are they only getting like their their racial conciliation itch with me and then I'm like I'm married to a white dude like I love yeah. white people like and I love country music like I like there are things that like are <laughs> There are things that, like, I I love that will thrust me into predominantly white spaces and that I can talk to mostly with my white friends. I think the thing that I would want a white person to know um, in engaging and being, like, a good friend to Black people is that 
there is a tenderness and there is an awareness of kind of like racial trauma and the grieving process that we go through and that it's really there's a lot going on in our minds and that one of the very best things that i have seen in my relationships with white people is their desire to not take from me but give to me they desire to like bring a meal to me if like something racially charged happens or if i send a text like i'm working on this book around race and i'm like i'm exhausted like i cannot talk about james birds deaths like any longer I cannot write anymore yeah. and they are the ones that are like praying for me and they're ones that are sending me like massage gift cards or they're offering to take care of me like the best of my, my the best white friends I have are the ones that recognize that I am being a black woman in a body and that has that has effects and it wears me out and they are leveraging again like resources and energy that they have because they're not doing all that you know mental gymnastics to come in and say let me take some of the pressures of life off of you a little bit because I know it's a, it's harder being a black woman than it is being a white. So like, even in that very like practical way of being like a friend, recognize that you're not doing that mental gymnastics. So maybe like offering ways to kind of care for the black women in your life, that's going to build some trust where then maybe you can get to a conversation where you can say, you know, I think I said something in this past conversation. I think it may have caused some harm. Do you want to work through it? Or, hey, if I ever do something that is a, that feels offensive or that causes harm to you, like, let me know. That builds trust between you and that black woman because you've honored her as an actual human being. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Andrea, by the, uh, Andrea, by the way, you've done this for me and Kara, oh. you've done this for me where things have been happening and you guys will slide into the DM and just say, hey, how you doing? It really yeah. means a lot to have those moments, to have those people who reach out and say, how are you doing? I have one really wonderful friend who is always like she's very charged person um and her thing is she's the person that she's like do you need to take a walk because she's the one that i can walk with and i can say whatever i want and she's like yes yeah, say it louder <laughs> um, and on top of that because not everyone can handle that either so yeah i truly she does everything yes. yeah yeah yeah. And the love of one or two white women, like, like Kara, like the love of two, one, like the love of the few gives me energy to love the many. Like it yeah. is this weird, like spiritual, mm -hmm. I don't know, thing that happens in me where I'm like, okay, there's hope. Like, yeah. like, you know, there's, there's this potential here. And so, and I think that that might be helpful because I think when we look at race, or you look at like dismantling white supremacy, it feels like this big, huge, massive thing that we've got to put our arms around. But if we can just put our arms around the black and brown people that God has put in our lives and love them really well, that can do a ton in a like ton. rebuilding, rebuilding relationships yeah. and trust. Yeah. 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 yeah Kara, I was going to ask, say what, yeah, say what you want to say. And then I have some, maybe a little more prodding with that one for you. So what are your thoughts on this one, Kara? And I'm, have you gone from a I'm sure, have you gone from a place in your life to just white friends to realizing I need to cultivate friendships outside of my race? Or, I mean, talk into that a little bit. Because I think a lot of white women also wonder, like, well, how do I do that? Or how do I not seem like I'm just too pushy? Or, you know what I mean? So talk about that yeah. in your life. I was going to give a sarcastic answer, but I won't. So oh, you can do both. <laughs> Come on. Nope. Nope. Not oh, you okay. Can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately, and I think I wrote about this a little bit in my book, but so I was prior to my life now, which doesn't even, which, which now like all I do is like hang out with my children because the Rona, but um, 
you know, so I'm like, am I really a writer and speaker now? Well, no, <laughs> we, I am a homeschooling mother, uh, which is wonderful for the studio audience <laughs> members who do joyfully love to homeschool their children. Um, maybe that was the sarcasm. You can delete that part, but um, <laughs> I love sarcasm. So go for right. it. Kara. Okay. But, um, so, so previous to what I'm doing prior to what I'm doing now, I was a high school English teacher. And then I was in, I was in ministry for almost a decade. Um, and in all those things, um, especially the ministry that I worked for, I worked for a ministry called young life. And, um, I called myself a professional friend. Like when I would meet people, uh, they would say, what do you do? And I, I, for a living. And I would say, I'm a professional friend. And I bring that up because I prided myself on how good I was at being a friend. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say, I can make anybody be my friend. I can make any kid, teenager, be my friend. I can make any grown up be my friend. I can find a million thousand connections. And one of the things that I feel like I've been learning just this last year um, is how I've tried to control friendships. Mm. And so in answer to your question, uh, yes, I grew up in a predominantly white space. Yes, I've had to work toward um, my friendships with friends of color, women of color in particular. Um, and yes, I'm letting go of the control that I have too often brought to the situation. Because if I can just love them enough, if I can just this enough, if I can, and I go down the list, which really is like white saviorism, um, but instead of, uh, instead of our friendship being a thing of mutuality, it's been a thing of me using. And so that is something that, that, that I, I, I just go, what does it mean for us to enter into this mutually? And what does it mean for us to have hard conversations? This goes back to so much of what we've said. My strongest friendships, both with women of color and with white women, are friendships in which we've gone through the fire. And obviously we could like sing a song from the late nineties and we could also like throw a thousand scripture verses. But when we go through hard things, Oshida and I have gone through hard things and we're still here. Like we're still talking, we're still pursuing, we're still reaching out. Um, we haven't seen each other in a while and granted we probably won't because back to point A, the Rona, but um, <laughs> we've, we've had hard moments and that's been hard moments of me realizing that I'm getting it wrong of Oshita saying the wrong, the hard, not the wrong thing, of Oshita saying the hard thing to me. I said wrong me. things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, so, see, look at where we are now. So, <laughs> both of us, but I mean, of, of, and, and I just say that a lot of that had to do with, I mean, I, I think if, if we were to go and see, uh, if we were to go and like have someone, here, Oshita, here's an idea for like our next book together. <laughs> sure. Like, if we, super. Uh, if we were to have like someone, professionally analyze. I'm sure, yes, there will be a thousand things on both sides, but a lot of it would have to do with, um, with the ideals of whiteness and the ideals of me trying to control and thinking that if I can just do these different things, then everything will be okay because we're under the umbrella of Jesus instead of approaching friendship 
again, as a thing of mutuality. And so, I mean, one last thing that I, I just think is fascinating. There was a study just a couple of years ago, year or two ago, um, that was about that was about kids. And when um, kids are exposed to um, multiracial friendships when they are young, the propensity um, that they have when to, to actually having then friendships of different races when they are older. And so there's a there's a direct correlation. So wow. for those of us who are white, who grew who grew up in predominantly white environments, absolutely it is almost a guarantee that if we grew up in all white spaces with all white friends, then we as grown-ups are going to have all white friendships. It is oh. it is going to be that much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not impossible. And so for me as a parent, and yes, I'm raising children of color, but but what does that mean then uh, when I am, you know, not only for my own children, but for um, the my friends' children, uh, for the, you know, I mean, just for all these different things, but also for the relationships that I have. So what does it mean for us to be creating good for the next generation too? It means working toward it now and, and sometimes entering discomfort and all of the above. Yeah. So. Oh, she or Marcy. No, that's so good, Kara. Very good. I love you, Kara. (laughs) I love you. Oh, oh. Oh, there's so much more we could talk about. So what we want to hit on is books. And I was also going to bring up joy, how we're finding joy right now. So do you think we could each give a short answer just on, because Oshita in your book, that's so important. And that spoke to me so much in this hard time of 2020 and really feeling like I don't even think I have any joy. So much has happened with COVID and my dad dying this year, like just so much. And I'm like, ah, there's no joy. But your chapter really spoke to me. We have to find that. Like that's part of this. So Kara, you want to go first and just how, how are you finding joy right now? And that's an effort of peace and shalom. Okay. No books, just joy. Joy right now, but books are joy. So that kind of is, was going to get me into it. Um, okay. I'll, outside of books. I would outside like to of, do that. Ha ha. I'm challenging you. Yeah. I want to hear like what else okay. besides books. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I'm currently staring into my backyard, but um, I have found so much joy in the garden. And I've, I've never been a gardener, but one of the, um, one of the benefits of, the, of COVID-19, of the coronavirus, I mean, we've, you know, I don't even know how many months it is, but my older son and I especially, but our younger son too, we have been literally digging into the earth and we have upturned almost our entire backyard. Kids. <laughs> now I have a small human in the background who's getting a table. <laughs> um, but it's it's been it, it's been this beautiful process, literally, literally of digging in, um, of getting it wrong, of getting it right, of plucking carrots out of the ground, of figuring out sun and soil and compost and um, all these different elements, of watching actual huge like pumpkin plants sprout from little tiny seeds of totally messing up with tomatoes and going, wait a minute, why do they have mildew? And, um, and yet all of this, there's been so much life and digging in and um, there's been redemption. And I mean, I could go on with that, but it has been an absolute beautiful, joy-filled thing. It's like my favorite thing in the morning to go out and to say, oh my God, like cucumbers really do like double overnight. This is insane. (laughs) Yeah, good. That's awesome. Marcy, how about you? Where are you finding your joy? You're getting ready to move. Your life's a little chaotic right now, but where are you finding your joy? Well, mine isn't as lovely as, as mine's a little okay. more trashy than Kara. 
It's all right. Completely trashy. But um, having an 18-year-old daughter has been just so much fun, like more fun than I ever would have anticipated. And while, yeah, COVID is keeping us locked together, she and I have started this thing where every afternoon around four or five, we get together and watch um, reality TV. And we're late to the game because she, she was young when a lot of these things happened, but we just watched all of the Bachelorette with the one black Bachelorette. We watched the whole thing and it gave us so much joy. So funny. And then, you know, we're watching Say Yes to the Dress and we, we were doing these, um, I forget, million dollar listings in LA and just all about just vegging out to this reality TV. And it's so funny because my kid's just really funny. And her commentating on what happens on The Bachelorette is the most joy. It's so fun. I mean, because first of all, I'm just like, well, not really been in love in that way yet. And she's just like, no, that's just stupid. I mean, really? I mean, oh my gosh, what is she wearing? I love what she's wearing. I hate what she's wearing. Um, Who's doing her makeup? Clearly someone who's not Black. I mean, it's just hearing her... watching people on reality TV, it's giving me a lot of pats on the back. Like I'm like, yes, she's seeing the problems, but also just, it's just a deep breath of like, it doesn't matter. We know they're okay. That's the good thing that we're late, that we can at least say they're okay. But, um, you know, that's, it's silly, but that's what's bringing me joy. I love hearing that it's from you, Marcy. I do. That, like, gives me permission to just, like, let go of some <laughs> of the world and just, you know, Marcy, that you veg out to reality TV. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I am all about the trash TV. <laughs> that's so yeah. good to know. She know yeah. what about you? <laughs> <laughs> so, Kara and I both have, we, what we have in common is that we've moved around a lot. And so, I've, I've lived on, um, like, all or like almost well not, not the pacific south pacific northwest but i've lived all over the country um and one of the things that is always hard for me and like the one of the things that prevents me from like fully settling into my new place is if i don't have like like my like my place or my space like this the places where i go to where i feel like oh i just love being here and so when I was in LA, it was like the dog park. I have this dog park here that I love so much, but that's not what's giving me joy right now. What's giving me joy right now is my husband found this space called the Creator Space. And it's like this hidden gem in St. Paul. It's two floors of all of these different rooms that are like curated for specific like professional creatives. So like there's like a pottery room and there's a painting room and there's I, there's just there's like all these different spaces and they have like a study that has like a legit coat of like armor what do you call it like a knight in an armor and there's candles everywhere and it, I don't know it just feels like a castle like a study in a castle like all these rooms are so curated and so beautiful and they're like specifically created so that you can enter that space and feel creative and my husband found it and was like I know where you're writing your book because writing this book has been the hardest thing ever like not just with the content but then COVID-19 and then we're leading in two churches. So figuring out like what does online church, all, all that's just been really hard. So I go to the creator space 
and I go and they also have like these two rooms. They have this meditation room that's, I can't even describe it. There's like couches and pillows and it's these rich golds and reds and it's amazing. And then it's connected to this yoga room. And then there's a salt room, like a salt wall room. So you can sit and just stare at a salt and it's all like calm music is piped through both of these rooms so i have literally like gone there in the morning wrote went inside in the salt room with like my meditative podcast and like just sit and look at the salt and and like listen to my podcast maybe fall asleep and take a little nap then like get up and go to like the study room and work a little more and then go and do yoga and because like if you have a membership which my husband gave me like you can go and you can use any of those spaces for any any time between like eight and eight so that is the space that's giving me joy. Nice. And because of that, like I've come home and I've like decorated my house. Like there's a few like elements of my house that like are reflective of the creator space. So that's bringing me a whole lot of joy. Like I found a place for me to just go and be like nice. myself alone and creative. So nice, nice. I'll give a real quick short answer on the heels of Marcy's. I feel like I have permission to, because I honestly, I've been like, I don't even know where I have joy, but I'm late in the game with Gilmore Girls and have been watching that every night with my daughters piled in my bed that we watch an episode. And I'm like, that's so silly, but it brings me joy and it lets me escape the world. So we're only in season two, but you know, it is what it is. So that's my guilty pleasure right now, watching Gilmore Girls. It brings me some joy. So let's wrap up by each going around and sharing our books. We all are book lovers. We all believe that stories matter. Stories change us. Stories just, they, they change the world and hearing different perspectives. So Let's go around. Marcy, do you want to start? Um, we're going to share. I'll let them start because. Is they got to go? Yeah, okay. they, got, they got their kiddos. So okay. And if you girls have to step out, Carrie or Ashita, you can step out and just know I'm going to put in the show notes where you guys can be found and where your books are and all of that. So if you have to leave, just know I'm going to link that up and I'll also share it at the end too. Okay. So Kara, you want to go, you want to tell us like a book that's for kids, one that's speaking to you right now most during your current state of unrest and one that's challenging you. So three books. Okay. The first, um, a book for kids. Uh, my boys and I just finished reading this. I'm going to read aloud as long as I possibly can. Uh, this is a book called The Season of Sticks Malone. Um, I believe uh, Kekla Magoon is how you say her name. Uh, it's a middle grade novel and it is so much fun. It is the perfect summertime read. It features a cast of, I mean, the main characters are three uh, black boys and uh, representation matters, but it is a fun story that takes place in the middle of America in Indiana. And it is just beautiful to dive into uh, culture and story. It was the winner of uh, the Coretta Scott King Award. So, you know, it's good. Yeah. One book that um, I'm reading and loving right now. Uh, she is a friend. Uh, she, so maybe I'm biased, but she Dorcas Trentosen, uh, she wrote, she had a book that came out a couple of years ago, but um, she has a new book that's releasing next week called Let There Delight. And granted, it's about her husband's company. So she too is biased, but it is a phenomenal book. Um, he, uh, when he was in grad school uh, at Stanford Business School, um, he and a couple of friends came up with this social enterprise to provide solar energy to, that ended up has provided solar energy to over a hundred million people. And, wow. you know, I went into this going, oh, it'll, you know, it'll be a nice little story of a company, but it is I mean, I think in the last, like just in the last two days, I've already read half of it. I can, I keep saying, I'm going to read, I'm going to, I'm not going to read any more chapters, but it is 
an absolutely enthralling story. So Let There Delight by Dorcas okay. Chengtozen. And one book that is challenging me, I've had it on my shelf. I don't know why it took me forever to read it, um, but especially in light of our conversation today. So you want to talk about race. I've been meaning to read it forever. Um, Oshida, I think it's actually, your, your uh, Dear White Peacemakers is probably gonna be the Christian version of this book, uh, is what I'm thinking. Um, but she, I'm not how to, sure how to say her name. Ijeoma? Ijeoma Olu? Olu? I think so. I don't either. know either, but... So, but I mean, the cover, you'll probably recognize it. So you want to talk yeah. about race. Um, but she is hitting the, each of those, those conversations that all of us, not just white folks, but that um, everyone says, okay, well, what about... So, so what exactly is cultural appro appropriation and why is that wrong? So why can't we say the N-word? So um, what is the, the uh, school to prison pipeline? And everything, uh, just conversations that are under the umbrella of race, uh, she is answering and she is talking about in a very conversational, yet truth-telling, uh, digging in and speaking truth sort of way. So I, every day that I've been reading her book, I'm just going, oh my gosh, mind blown. Yeah. So those are the three I recommend. Awesome. Yeah, I second the last one you said. I've read that one as well, and it's, it's challenging, but so good. Okay, Oshido, how about you? Okay, so it was children's, what is challenging me? And yes, then, what's, uh, and then what's speaking to you most? Okay, so I don't know if this is a children's book, but I bought, when I bought it, it was in the children's section, and it's, um, it's a it's an excel it's a journal it's a prompt like a journal book oh, uh, self-acceptance cool. prompt it's called it's your weirdness that makes you wonderful so I my daughter that. i know I, and um my daughter really wants an iphone 11 and so one of the things that i said that she has to do this summer is she has to do like some like morning like journaling and meditative work and so i have been like collecting these mm. like journals and prompt books for her and this is my favorite so far um like there's a section of, of like affirmations it's like i don't owe anyone smooth skin i don't owe anyone tone a toned body i don't i don't owe it like it's all this whole list of like i don't anyone i don't owe anyone an attractive yeah. face and so like you know i don't know if it, I, I mean i feel like as a as a grown woman i'm the need yeah <laughs> it, the, the, my weirdness makes me wonderful so it's it's called it. it's your weirdness that makes you wonderful Love it. a self-acceptance prompt journal by kate allen and it has this cute little, like, I don't know, unicorn sloth on the front. Um, a book that I that is challenging me right now is, I'm, I'm reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Ooh, it's really yeah. challenging me. Um, I have, like, this, I love Glennon, and I uh, am... And I am intrigued by Glennon. Let's say, let's say it that way. That's the, the diplomatic way of saying it. I really love who she is. And I'm also like, I have questions that I'm uh, about her. And, um, and so this book is really challenging me in a lot of ways. Like hearing her journey, hearing her story, her own like road to self-acceptance and how as a, like how she's a Christian woman with some, th some thoughts and I'm a Christian woman with maybe different or more thoughts than her. And, Kind of how can I see the good in that? It's really, really challenging me. I've always loved, loved Glennon's writing, and I've always been interested in this specific journey that she's talking about, and so that's what's challenging me. And then what I'm reading that I'm loving or what I'm reading right now is Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard I just Thurman. finished it. Girl. Yesterday, what? I just finished it. This book. <laughs> um, it is... 
I, I mean, as a as my traditions Anabaptists were really rooted in peacemaking, nonviolence, really rooted in Jesus. And so this book is really opening my eyes on how to actually live out that ethic, specifically around race and justice. And and as a black woman, like as a black woman learning from a black leader, it's just so meaningful for me. And so and he was he was a mentor to Dr. King. And so Jesus and the Disinherited. I'm really loving it right now. Okay, Marcy, I know you get the top prize as the book bookworm reader um, oh I, I don't know these girls can go toe-to-toe let me tell you um, <laughs> all right what what do you got for us marcy okay well i love children's books even though i no longer have like a child a true child in my life but we we all do in my home so we buy picture books still and i just brought this one it's so beautiful it's called the stuff of stars and it's about the creation story but um, it's told from a scientific point of view. So it's just, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's so poetic and it's gorgeous. So, so is it um, a Christian book too? Oh, yeah. Because it starts in, yeah. it says, in the dark, in the dark, in the deep, deep dark, a speck floated, invisible as thought, weighty as God. That's the first line. And then it goes into how the speck became, um, exploded and became planets and how this one particular planet was perfect for butterflies and for antelope and oh my goodness it was perfect for you you were born and you're perfect for this planet and it's just it's gorgeous i love it so much a book that's feeding me right now is it's so funny that oshita picked Howard Thurman. I too picked the Howard Thurman book. I just finished Jesus and the Disnarrative, but I was led to that that book I was kind of afraid to go to first, <laughs> but I stopped, paused. I was reading his autobiography and I have it on my Kindle. You can't really see it, so. But it's called With Head and Heart, the autobiography of Howard Thurman. And I am loving it because Howard Thurman, he talks about being a little boy who loved nature and stars and um, how his mother just supported that and how that beginning really has informed so much of the peacemaking that he did later in life. And so I paused reading it because I was like, I need to go ahead and just do this Jesus and the Disinherited. I know it's going to wreck me, but I'm going to do it. And I made my husband do it with me. And so we did it together. And it was, it, it's just been such a, I feel like I'm just overeating. I mean, I'm just gorging on Howard Thurman right now. So with head and heart, his autobiography. And then the book that's challenging me is this, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a short story book. It's called Friday Black by Nana Kwame Adige Brenya. And he has written these very sci-fi, post-apocalyptic, dystopian short stories that I, I can't describe them, y'all. It, but it's challenging me because I don't normally go for this sorts of thing. I'm like, if, if it's too weird, I just can't, I can't get with you. But this book is so weird. So racially forward, this man, um, one of the short stories he wrote is about, it's just all about what happens when he goes to the hospital. That's all it's about. And, but 
and it sounds like how but as a black man what is the challenge of this in the short story i, I it, and he tells it in this very dystopian, very strange way of, of writing about this. And it's powerful. And another story, he talks about a video game to teach white people how not to how not to react and call the police. So I made my husband read this one with me too. Because <laughs> he likes sci-fi and we both are just like, what? I mean, I can't I can't tell you enough. And if you like Roxanne Gay, she is like, her Her quote is, read this book. Gay tells me to read yeah. it. I'm going to read it, y'all. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know <laughs> if I can even top that, Marcy. Like, goodness. <laughs> My books are going to seem boring. Okay, I'll be quick because I know we've gone so far over time. Both of these for kids. Fever read with uh, my 11-year-old by It's So Good. Yeah. Both of them are historical fiction. Yellow Fever. I mean, it was really my 11-year-old loved this one because we read it actually a couple months ago, the start of COVID when school let out. So yeah. just hearing like that was so good for her, a girl growing up during Yellow Fever. And then Chains, we actually, I can't say like, oh, yes, this is wonderful because we haven't finished this one. We just started reading this one by the same author. Um also historical fiction, Girl Growing Up by Laura Halsey Anderson um, about a girl growing up in the time of slavery. Um, both I highly recommend for children and for adults to read with their children. Um, let's see, challenging, I'm gonna go with um, Me and White Supremacy by uh, Layla Essaid. Um yeah, right along with your book, Kara. But this one is so good, and it is one uh, white people you need to get and work through. And it's not like a sit and read it all at once. It's like you got to do the work with this one and journal and take take topics in um, for like a day or a week. And it is it's been really I don't want to say life changing, but sort of for me um, and just learning and working through some of my own stuff. Um, and then speaking to us and challenge or speaking to us. Okay. So I have two. So I always am reading the, usually the, pod, the get podcast guests I'm having on next, um, re always reading their book and I'm not, I don't always love all of them, but this one, so, so good. I'm sure you, I'm guessing you guys have read this. I bring the voices yeah. of my people. Yes. So yes. she's um, Shaniqua Walker-Barn. She's going to be a guest in a couple weeks and I am just slowly digesting i say this fits into both categories for me because it is challenging me too because it's a womanist view and it's things that take off my rose-colored glasses for what i think <laughs> and um i could i could keep talking about it but it's it's highly recommend if you haven't read this one to well, dive into was, it that's what i was talking about earlier so brenda yes Pablo i Neal, heard you talking yes. barnes ibram kendi like they're all leaning into systems and essentially yeah. calling that model yes of like the archaic model of let's just build relationships in order to bring about racial reconciliation yeah, yeah. shaniqua walker barnes all hail yeah. she's brilliant agree. like agree she is i saw her at evolving faith last year and she's just so I was thrilled that she agreed to come on and talk to me. So I'm super excited. And I will also, we'll have to throw out both Kara and Oshida's books. So good. Um, Kara, like I said, I'm working through yours. But Oshida, I have to say, yours is speaking to me so much right now. Like we just moved to a new state, new city last month. I mean, just so many things. So I could not be reading your book at a better time. And I can't even tell you how much I've marked and highlighted.
highlighted in it that I needed to hear right now where I'm at. So this one as well, Shalom Sistas, (laughs) Bioshitamore, and you've got a new one coming out too. And we will link all of these up in the show notes. Ladies, Mm -hmm. you've talked talked way longer than I told you we would. Mm -hmm. So I am really grateful for your time and I apologize for going over. I just am thankful. Can we go, do you guys want to tell where you're found real quick? Uh, Kara, tell us your website and your book where where people can find you if they want. Yep. My website is karameredith.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Kara Meredith Writes. uh, And Twitter is karamac54. My book is available wherever books are sold. I did just check Amazon uh, last night. It is back in stock. But I want to give a special shout out because Marcy Walker uh, is the one who helped me, uh, introduce me to this organization. I've got a bunch of books I'm still trying to sell uh, that were... um, that are currently sitting in my closet right there that were purchased okay. for for events this spring that were all canceled. So um, until I sell out of those books, 100% of um, proceeds from books sold through my website, just my website, will go to the organization, the Swan Dream Project. Yay. So if you head to my website, it is a little bit more than you might find on Amazon, but 100% of proceeds wow. go to that um, organization, which is just a phenomenal organization, Swan Dream Project. Okay, we'll link that up and order from your website and not Amazon. Okay, Oshita, where can we find you? Because you have a blog and a podcast and a book, all of that. Yeah, the best place to find me right now where that I update the most is my Instagram account. So okay. I spend more time. I do these morning breath prayers. I've taken the week yeah. off because I've been kind of sick. But every morning at 6.30 a.m., um, I jump on and we do a little devotion together and do some breathing and centering. Um, and so... Um, uh, yeah, so Instagram, it's, it's just my name, Oshita Moore okay. on Instagram. And then if you want to kind of like read some of my past writings, find my podcast, you can find podcasts anywhere. You listen to your favorite podcast. It's um, Shalom, y'all. Um, it's the podcast. I've changed the name recently. And then um, if you want to look at my site, it's kind of cute. I like it. It's my name, Oshita.com. Okay, awesome. And Marcy, tell us where you can be found. My listeners should know by now, but we've got new listeners. Where can you be found? <laughs> Um, well, I can be found mostly on Instagram. I, I, I don't do Twitter or Facebook. I, I just can't keep up. So hard enough for me on, on Instagram. And so that's at Black Coffee with White Friends. Um, if you want to take history lessons with me, that's at Mockingbird History Lessons. And that's my Patreon project where for every adult lesson, you're building into building a curriculum for children. So um, those are the two places where you can find me. I also do have a blog, but that links on my Instagram account, Black Coffee of White Friends. Um, And then Mockingbird History Lessons. You can do the lessons just straight there if you're not part of Instagram. And I'm working on a book. Um, Yeah, I'm working on a book, y'all. During these trying COVID times. (laughs) Um, But... It's it's actually been giving me a lot of energy and a lot of a lot of more faith in the process um, and realizing how much it all is a process. So that'll be coming out in 2021. I have no idea how it works. This is my first go around with this, but I'm looking forward to what that brings in my life. Okay. Very good. All right, ladies. You guys are wonderful. And again, I appreciate this so, so very much. I'll let you guys finally get on with your day. But thank you guys. Thanks, Andrea. Bye. Bye. It was good to connect with you guys. Bye. So good to see you. Bye, ladies.
Thanks for listening in on this conversation. All the links and books we mentioned can be found on this episode's show notes at HerStorySpeaks.com, as well as where to connect with each of my guests. And if you aren't already a Patreon member of Mockingbird History Lessons, I encourage you to go check it out and consider supporting Marcy's work to create real and relevant history lessons for adults and children. Finally, if you like this episode or past episodes of the podcast, can you do me a favor and leave a review for it on iTunes? I don't make money on this podcast, but reviews help others more easily find it. And of course, I love to hear from listeners how the stories shared on this platform are impacting hearts and minds towards seeking Jesus and justice in this world.